0: Vsauce, Kevin here. Welcome to the Create Unknown. With me is my co-host, Matthew Tabor. Matt, please tell me something. Do you know what a pole of inaccessibility is? No, but it sounds cool.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's really the furthest point from something like the coast of a continent or the furthest point in the middle of an ocean from any land. And one of the neat spots of inaccessibility is in the South Pacific. It's called Point Nemo. And it's the furthest point from really any land, which means nobody's there makes it an amazing place for re-entry on things like satellites. There are no ships around. The satellite's not going to come in and hit anybody. So that's kind of the, uh, the favorite spot for uh, international space work to drop their stuff back in. There's a, a cemetery there for spaceships and satellites that has you know, hundreds of different things uh, from the 1970s to now.
0: So when the aliens land, they're going to go straight to... The point of inaccessibility and dig up all of our space junk, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably. They're going to see that and say, well, okay, here's the collection that's like the pinnacle of technology and advancement of this society. So this has to be the most important place on Earth.
0: (laughs) And they'll laugh at us because it'll be so rudimentary compared to whatever they've developed to get to (laughs) Earth, essentially.
1: Right. They won't bother
0: even uh, going to any of the other continents and saying what's there. (laughs) They'll just leave. They'll just (laughs) they'll just wormhole their their way away. Well, um, that was awesome. I'm glad to know that. I didn't know that before. Now I do. Our guest actually makes a living telling you things and, and actually learning things new each day. His name is Destin Sandlin. You probably know him from his YouTube channel, Smarter Every Day, or from his podcast, No Dumb Questions. And I've known Destin for a long time now. He's always struck me as an endlessly curious guy. He's just always so interested in learning stuff, and, and so am I. So I think that's why he and I have always clicked. Probably the most striking thing in this conversation ended up being about snack cakes, of all things.
1: Yeah. No, I didn't see us getting to uh, getting to snack cakes, but all of a sudden, there we were.
0: There we were, and I couldn't stop thinking about snack cakes afterwards, and I'm still not... Like, I really want a YouTube channel just about breaking down, you know, like, on... on one of my favorite TV shows is how it's made, because it just gives you yep. a bunch of random stuff that you never thought about how it actually was made. And it ends up being a lot more complicated than you ever imagined. Uh, we really need the YouTube version of that. And and maybe that's something that, uh, you know, Destin should spearhead in the future.
1: Yeah, I think he could do like a 10 or 12 hour series on pretty much the simplest item in the world. I mean, he dissected with outrageous precision one single tiny element in the process of making a snack cake and, you know, go. Into the the high end engineering of how this gets made, and it, it, it was totally fascinating. And it makes you think, like, oh, well, if that's for the sprinkles, what's it like
0: actually making the whole cake? <laughs> yeah. So strap in for the sweet sounds of Destin Sandlin from Smarter Every Day, because you are about to enter the Great unknown. Okay. So Destin, now you're going to have to deal with like a little bit of flattery here. And I know that you're you're a humble guy, so this might be awkward for you, but I just want to lay this out clearly from my perspective. Destin from Smarter Every Day. Okay. So you are this unicorn essentially of... An amalgamation of kind of like insane qualities that work so well together to form Smarter Every Day, where you have this like boyish Southern charm, okay, (laughs) right? No, just stay with me. You have this boyish (laughs) Southern charm um, combined with an endless curiosity about the world. True. You're a rocket scientist, so you have um, like a high level of understanding and education behind what you're doing. And then also able to communicate it in a conversational clear way and create and edit videos that people want to click
2: on. So were you created in a lab is basically uh, (laughs) my first question. I'm I'm like, what the heck do I do with this? I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't live up to all those things you just said. Well, um, some
1: guys are, you know, it's like in baseball, some guys are five tool players. Right. And, And that's, that's kind of what what you are on on YouTube and uh, podcasting and the rest, and every decade there's one of those
2: guys. So who would that who would that guy be in baseball? So you're a baseball fan, <laughs> Mike Trout, right now, don't you think? Mike
0: Trout is today's. Um, I I love Ken Griffey Jr. from yeah. from my day. Um, back in the day, you got like a Mickey Mantle, yeah, Willie yeah. Mays. Those are five tool mm-hmm. players. Oh,
2: this is going to be fun. I can already tell this is going to be fun. <laughs> All right, yeah, cool. I actually got to see Trout play recently. We were in Anaheim and we went to an Angels game. Oh, awesome. That's pretty cool. Did you see –
1: who is it? Otani? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah, Otani. He he pitches – he has an ERA of, like, two, but he also hits home runs like mad. Yeah. What? Yeah. Pitchers aren't allowed to do that. He's a DH when he's not pitching. Uh, Oh, did not know that. But I guess he's having trouble. Like, he needs Tommy John surgery, which will keep him away from throwing uh, for, like, a year and a half. But he'll still be able to hit. Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah, but no, there hasn't been a guy like him in a in a very very long time. But yeah, so no, you are the equivalent here where you hit all of those different responsibilities in in kind of one body.
0: Yeah, and I want to know how that came to be. Like like why did you start? Cuz you started uploading what what year?
2: I think it was 2007. Um I uploaded a video called How to light a bonfire with rockets. And it was strange because I got a a I guess it was just a MacBook, and it had iMovie on it. And I like to teach. I've always liked to teach and I like to learn. And so I don't know. It's kind of weird how it went down. Actually, I was doing something at work where I was shooting rockets down a rope. Okay. There's actually, a there's actually a patent out there. You can Google the patent, just Dustin Sandlin rocket patent. You'll find it. But there's a patent of this rocket flying down a rope. And I was like, you know, this could be used to light a bonfire in my yard. And so I did it. And I just happened to record it and do this new weird thing called YouTube just to see what that was like to show it to a couple of my friends. And uh, I think the unique thing at the time was that I was making a video for YouTube. It wasn't just something I uploaded. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. No,
0: no. Can you explain that further? You were making it for YouTube? Meaning what exactly? Look, Because when I first started making YouTube videos, it was just to get ideas out of my head. I just wanted to make things and then send them to my friends and hopefully it. You know, gave them two minutes of entertainment. So so what what is your motivation to show people how to light a bonfire with a rocket on a rope?
2: Well, I, I I guess my point is I specifically made the piece of content to upload to YouTube with the idea that it was going to be consumed by people. and they were going to obtain knowledge from that that piece of content I was making. So all that was very intentional. I don't know why but it has a natural story arc. You know, the very first video, sometimes I go back and watch it just to see what the heck I was thinking. And uh, it was very clear that it's intentional from the beginning, and I don't know why. It just happened. I don't know, but it's it's just a natural storyteller. I want to create things. I want to do technical things. There's a whole lot of things I was thinking about in that video I didn't talk about. For example, the string, how tight you pull the string that you shoot a rocket down, that matters. It's called the linear density, like the tension per unit length. Like, if you get that wrong, the rocket can outrun the bow wave that goes down the string. And so that's the level I was thinking on. But I just made the video because it was fun. And, you know, you get to see something burn. Is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I mean, I think that sentence sums up exactly why this works so well, because you understand it at this rocket scientist level. But at the end of the day, you just want to see something kind of blow up. And that <laughs> that meshes so well with YouTube and, and it, it didn't. That, there was no platform for that before YouTube. I think that's something that YouTube is in, incredibly underrated for what it has provided, you know, people around the world. There was no um, way to to watch content that was so high level in one respect, but also so easily consumable and shareable at the same time.
2: Yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I heard someone recently on a panel. Unfortunately, I f- I've forgotten the name of the lady that said it, but she said something about niche enthusiasts. So that's what the internet is, right? You've got all these little bitty subcultures and there's somebody out there that's just like you and you can connect with them. And the thing that YouTube does is it provides a platform where you can connect with all those people that are niche enthusiasts about the same thing that you like. And that's why it's so cool. And so for me, it's, you know, technical things, typically aerodynamic stuff, but also physics-based stuff. And I'm starting to dabble in, you know, how your brain works and stuff like that. But it's just, my criteria for making a video is anything that interests me. That's pretty much it. And I know you do the same, Kevin. I mean, you 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 make videos about things that you like, regardless on whether or not you think it's going to get a bazillion views. You do something that you really care about, right?
0: Yeah. I, and, I, and I mean, you know, maybe someday we'll interview someone who does things differently and we can find out like why they do it that way. But for me, I, I frankly can't wrap my head around doing it any other way. Like, uh, it's so much work, <laughs> frankly, to you know conceptualize an idea, to do the research, to synthesize the information into some sort of digestible format, story, narrative, or explanation, then to do the production, shoot the video, then figure out how to edit it. You know what sort of visuals to. You know, uh, I'm I'm getting bored just listening to myself go through the process (laughs) that I don't know how anyone could go through that process um, and not be passionate about what they're creating once it's uploaded.
2: Mm. Hmm. Yes. So say that again. Was there a question there? You're just saying that's the way you see the world and you can't see it another way.
0: No, I'm saying that I don't know how you could do YouTube any other way, Um, or at least in the space that we're in, in the EDU space. Like, what do you think about that? Like, for me, in order to make a video, I have to be naturally interested in, like, for instance, I tried to make a video on Yin Yang, which is... Oh,
2: it's Yin Yang? It's not Yin Yang? Yeah, so that, that, that was like
0: one of the only interesting things that I learned. Was that? <laughs> so I read a couple of books about yin yang and a couple of things. The two things that I learned is that it's first of all one word. It's not yin and yang because okay. because it's one unit. So you can't separate them. You're not supposed to. There's not a space there because there is no yin without yang, right? It's just one thing that's intermingled. Okay, um, and then uh, yeah, then yes, it's pronounced yin yang, not yin and yang. Like that's incorrect. But that that was it. That was really all I learned. That's why I didn't uh, make a video about
2: it. What you learned, yeah. But so you're saying you didn't make a video about it because there wasn't enough content there. Yeah, essentially. Well, I, th- I think the. So here's the way my workflow works. I have a ton of videos in the can. Like I have a whiteboard in there with just the crazy idea written down on the whiteboard. And I know that I went to this little place in in Arkansas or whatever it is, or in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and I recorded one minute of video about this particular topic. And I will set that in a can, in a hard drive for three years. And then three years later, another idea will just pop in my head and then I will say, oh, that's the end of the story. And I'll go back and I'll, I'll smush those two together and say, now kiss. And then they kiss and then <laughs> the story pops out, right? That's just kind of how it works for me. But to get to your point, is that the only way you can make YouTube? And the answer is no. I think it has to do with what your input to your control loop is, right? So if you think about like how things work, like you're churning out the creative process, you have inputs to that control loop, right? Your decision-making control. And if your input is, how can I be more popular? How can I get more views? You're going to get a very different video out the other side than if you say, what is interesting to me? Mm -hmm.
1: So what was interesting to you in 2007 is shooting a bottle rocket down a rope. You do this, people like it, whether it's for the high level stuff or the fire. Um, Then what would you do next? I mean, so you've done this one thing. You, You had to start started thinking about like, how am I how am I going to use this platform and for what
2: purpose? Well, yeah, there's this moment that happened very clearly. Well, there's a couple of moments. Number one is way back in the day, Michael Vsauce had a thing he called the lean back. And a lean back, as you know, is when you create a playlist of interesting content and everybody can just lean back and watch the thing mm-hmm. in its entirety. This is back when YouTube had a 10-minute cap on, on the video. So it was a big deal to have a playlist. So he featured a video I did called chicken head tracking Mm -hmm. in that lean back. And that went, you know, quasi viral for the time, like a hundred thousand views or something like that. And so at that moment in time, I was like, wait a second. I was thinking about the guidance and control of missiles, which led to, you know, the vestibulo ocular reflex in birds. And that's why they keep their head stable because they don't have the same type of reflex that we have in humans. And so I was like super, super deep in the science, but I ultimately picked up this chicken and held it in front of a camera and moved it around, and the head stayed stable, right? And so I was thinking about the optical feedback loop in the chicken's brain, and everybody that watched the video was like, hey, man, check out this guy playing with a chicken on the internet, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I'm, I'm down here in Alabama thinking about guidance of rockets, and I'm the redneck dude because I'm playing with a chicken and I have a southern accent, right? But I was actually thinking at a very, very deep level. And so it was after Michael featured that in the Leanback I thought, I was like, you know what? Nobody watched that video on the same level that I was thinking. Not a single person. But I can use that to help educate as I learn. And so if I if I can figure out what the interesting thing is in whatever it is I'm looking at, whether it be Civil War cannons firing, which is the next video, or whether it be these other things, I can learn things and I can help other people learn and kind of trick them into learning as well. And in general, make them more curious about the world. And at that point, you know, maybe they don't look at honey swirling on their toast the same way as they used to. If I can kind of get them to look one level deeper, then they can learn more. That's kind of the idea. What was it like for you
0: growing up? Because there can't be a million, uh, you know, Destins running around Um, also doing this or were there? Did you have like a group of friends where you would do these experiments together? Like how did you develop this interest in just learning deeply about everything? But not only that, but communicating it with others.
2: I don't know. Well, my father used to play this game with me growing up called Do You Know? And we would be driving somewhere. This was before cell phones. This was before anything. You know, you may have had a decent song on the radio, but when we would drive somewhere, he would say, Do You Know? And he would say something, for example, Do You Know... That people in New York are spinning around the earth slower than we are here. He would say that, for example. And I that would just open up this box of wonder, like, what? Mm-hmm. We're all on the same earth. I'm looking at my feet. My feet aren't moving. We're obviously moving the same speed. He's like, no, no, it's not. Because and he would explain the distance and you know, he would explain latitude and how all that worked. And we eventually got to Coriolis. And so w- dad would just ask questions. And I don't know if that made me ask questions, but Mom told me the other day, for the first time, when I was when I was in school, they pulled me out of a certain school. I was going to go to this high school where all my friends were going, and they pulled me out in eighth grade. That transition from eighth to ninth grade, you know, you know how that works. You're right about to be in the high school, so everything matters socially. They just pulled me straight out, and I was like, you know, I bloomed late, so I was this little little guy that you know, got put into a brand new school, had no friends. And I asked her the other day, I was like, mom, why did you do that? You know, you know, you made life hard for me when you did that. And she's like, yeah, I just knew that, you know, academics were, I mean, it's always been clear academically that's important to you. And I know you're not going to, you know, work at a plant like your father and I do. We know that we had to give you the best education possible. And so for, you know, the income that our family made. They sent me to a different public school that had better academics, and I made some friends, and we did Science Olympiad. You ever heard of that?
1: Yeah, no, I was a, a captain in high school. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what events What
2: events did you do? Uh, back in the day, I liked Mission Possible. That was my favorite. Um, okay, so yeah. Alabama, Steve-O and I were Alabama state champs in Mission Possible. Did you do Mission Possible? Yeah, no, I was only a, a regional medalist in that, though. Uh, but,
1: however... I was responsible for a rule change. and I'm prouder of this than almost anything in my life, where one year I used timed cannon fuse. And this was back in, you know, the 90s. Heck yeah. yeah, and it was back in the 90s where you could still just order that from a catalog and like have cannon fuse show up in the mailbox, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, I built the Mission Possible thing. And I actually made two of them because I was in middle school and the high school team, nobody bothered and they didn't make... They didn't make an entry. So I'm like, yeah, I can do two of these in tandem because it's fairly easy and depends on this timed cannon fuse system. And so I shipped it to them and uh, they advanced to the States because that got third place. Uh, You know, I was like, all you have to do is light this thing. And, you know, it burned the two minutes or something right on the button because, again, all I had to do was cut it to a certain length and do things along the way. Um, but no, anyway, sorry. What's uh, the rule change? Oh, oh! So this timed cannon fuse is hot, burning stuff, and it burned through the bottom of the box and torched the gym floor uh, of whatever school the <laughs> thing was. Like burned through the lacquer and everything. Oh! Put
2: too much lacquer on yeah, it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it it went really badly. I wasn't there because you know I was doing the middle school one um but yeah there were a lot of changes with things so like pyrotechnics the, they banned oh yeah the next year in new york state olympia they didn't they didn't allow things like cannon fuse attaboy yeah. so At- boy. you know i wasn't the state champion but i was uh i forced a rule change
2: <laughs> but that was as a junior high student so you did that as a junior high student yeah yeah because a It was the only idea I could come up with to, like, reliably hit a two-minute thing. Yeah, that was the year that you had to start the event and you could have all these parallel paths, and the goal was to do something at the exact second, right? If I remember, and again, this is like 20-some years now, right? Kevin, I'm sorry. You're going to have to give us this
1: time. This is important to us. (laughs) Please continue. (laughs) So if I remember, it was a two-minute ideal time, right? Right. And there were three ping pong balls that were colored like blue, red and green or something. And I think the idea was at 60 seconds, the blue one has to release at 90 seconds, green, something like that. And then they had to fall into something uh, in the opposite order that they were released. That's awesome. Uh, Yeah. So the best way to do that was to use. We Put balloons on timed cannon fuse so that it would and burn the gym down. And we... right. <laughs> evidently, yes. But yeah, no. The
2: way the way we did that is we uh, it was a little different thing, but timing was important. So we we had a motor spinning a piece of all thread, uh-huh. and we had a uh, we machined a piece of aluminum with a nut on it, and so it would slide around that all thread at a certain rate because we were running the motor with a voltage regulator. Okay, and so that's that's how we did the same thing. But yeah. I I, can, I know what kind of person you are now, and I feel like, <laughs> yeah, this, this helps. <laughs> Got it. So Matt is the man, Mission Possible Extraordinaire. Okay. <laughs> oh, I,
1: I did get a state medal in metric mastery. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that's awesome. That was that was at my actual. That was my actual area of expertise was metric estimation. That's fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> that's
2: awesome. <laughs> did you do more Beyond Mission Possible? Did you do I did. Yeah. I did a lot. I did uh I actually did the Rockets as well. That was a. Uh, that's what that, that one's actually hanging on the wall in mm-hmm. there. And um the uh that's that's pretty that's a pretty big deal. So I went across I didn't even know what the word engineer was at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I went across the street. There's this guy named Mr. Lieberg. And uh, he was in a wheelchair. He was an engineer at Boeing, and I knew he he flew pilot. I mean, he flew planes for the Air Force. And I said, Mister Lieberg, I need a, a a parachute to pop out of this rocket at a certain time, and I have no idea how to do it. And he said, Oh, well, you need to use what's called a pilot chute. That's what the big boys use. And he talked me through what a pilot chute was. It's a smaller parachute to pull out a bigger parachute, and told me how it worked and what to do. And um, and he taught me what the word engineer was. Mm-hmm and then you know 2 years later i'm like i think i want to be an engineer i don't really know what it is but i think that I want to, that's what i want to do so i mean mission possible and bottle rocket stuff that changed my life i really enjoyed it so it's a big deal yeah it was have, you, have what's up have you, you should go back and judge it have you judged it no reasonably?
1: no i haven't uh no i've kind of been out of the loop on on like school involvement and things like that uh but yeah i could i could probably weasel my way into the regionals uh, to, to just that, <laughs> at least, it would be so cool to see what what the new events are. Like, I haven't kept up with it extremely well, so I imagine there are some events now that are probably a lot more advanced than what we They're did. They're probably
2: beyond beyond us, man. They're probably like program this this weasel with this chip <laughs> in the back of its brain.
1: <laughs> you know, I remember events like Road Scholar, which was basically, yeah, you know, navigation and simple map stuff like uh, Boy Scouts did and things like that, and like. That was cool, but how could you have an event like Road Scholar in 2018? Yeah, and make it know, compelling. That's an excellent
0: point. Yeah, well, huh. you don't need it when you can control a weasel with a. Microchip in its brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you just follow the weasel. So uh, yeah. so did your mom... You, your mom took you out of the high school you were supposed to go to because she felt like you needed a greater
2: challenge? Well, she, yes, she did. Um, she just... Yeah, like I said, she told me that recently. She said, I know Destin's not going to work at a plant. He's going to do something else with his mind. And so apparently... My mind at a young age was different than the other kids, and she recognized that, and she made steps to try to cultivate that.
0: So what what interests me about that, about your mom saying that, is I do think that there is a through line with a lot of YouTubers where they seem to kind of need to do their own thing. Uh, they seem to not really do all that well, at least in my experience. Like, I did not do well in, like, a, a traditional structured environment. I had a job for one week as the assistant to the head of a, a film division in in Manhattan. And by lunch of the first day where I felt like I was having a panic attack, I knew I couldn't do this because, really? yeah. Uh, so, you know, I'm answering phones, I'm like setting up appointments and, you know, five feet away from me, Uh, at another desk is this person's assistant of seven years. And I'm sitting there looking at this dude being like, you have done this for seven years and and all you've gotten is a desk three feet away or five feet away. Like uh, that's not what I'm going to do. Like in seven years, I better have something better than. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and
1: find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com.
2: Your desk. Well, I mean, that's, a, that's an excellent point. We we recently, on, on The podcast we do with a buddy of mine named Matt, we also have a a Matt on ours. We talked about this thing called the retirement cake philosophy. This is my philosophy anyway. And so the idea is like with a normal job, you at the end, I mean, there's a lot to be said for picking a job and providing for the family, you know, whoever you are, you know, if if you're able to provide for whoever you're supposed to provide for, sometimes you just got to swap time for money, right? Yeah. But there's this other thing that it's a competing thing in the back of everyone's mind as well. What do I, you know, what do I work for or what am I going towards? Like, for example, do I want to be the manager? Do I want to be the boss? You know, is that the goal to be, you know, to have a career and to end up at some higher level position than I, I was than when I started? And so my retirement cake philosophy is at the end of your career, whatever it is, let's say you work for a company with, you know, 5,000 people. At the end of that, you're going to go into a room, and they're going to have a cake there with your name on it, you know, happy retirement, Kevin, happy retirement, Matt, and everyone's going to say nice things about you, and they're going to cut the cake, and they're going to give everybody pieces of cake, and you're all going to eat it, and then you're going to leave the room, and it doesn't matter at that point if you were over one person, zero people, 5,000 people, it doesn't matter, you're retired, and that that contribution you made to society through that company is over. And so I really started thinking about that. And so even the nature of my work, what I do for a day job at times is, you know, I try to make sure it's always contributing to a larger a larger thing, if that makes any sense. And So I think creating educational content is important because ultimately you can inspire someone that, you know, is going to, probably live a lot longer than, than I am. Right. And so I think that's, I think that's a huge deal and you can change people's directions in life just by doing what you love.
1: There was a point where you made videos. I know the, the, uh, chicken head tracking video, that was the first one that was like to a million or so, wasn't it? Was that your first? Yes, Yes, sir. Like at a point, uh, and especially with things changing with revenue on YouTube that began to be introduced a little bit early on. Like, was there a point where you thought, hey, this isn't just a great thing to do, uh, a great educational platform, but this may be
2: economically viable to put serious effort into this? Was there a point when that kicked in? So on the other side of this wall behind me right here, Mm -hmm. there's a shower Mm -hmm. and my wife was brushing her teeth at that sink right over there. I'll move the, the, yeah, you can see that door. She was brushing her teeth on the other side of that door. I was doing my my shampoo routine with strawberry shampoo. And I had a moment and I was like, wait a second. I don't know what this YouTube thing is because this was before YouTube even monetized. I don't know what's going on with this YouTube thing, but it's working and it's, it's helping people and it's influencing people. I can figure out how to pay for the kids college education with this YouTube thing. I don't know how, I don't know why, but it's going to work. And I told my wife, I said, Hey, I just figured out college for the kids. <laughs> and she was like, that's, that's nice, honey. And I was like, no, seriously, it's going to work. She's like, how? And I was like, I don't know, but it's going to work. And, uh, I mean, we're very thankful that it, it is working out, you know, we're saving up for the kids college and, and it's, it's done more than that. It's given us opportunities and, you know, we're able to, you know, I, I quit my day job and I'm going back to school for a PhD and I'm able to, to fund all this with what's happening on YouTube. And it's a huge deal but it's it's a really scary thing right i didn't do what most people do and just quit and become a full-time youtuber that's not me so i have to be i have to be doing something that's contributing toward i don't know i i just i don't feel right doing that uh, so i'm going back to school and i'm actually doing a part-time consulting thing with the place i used to work so it's i don't know you, you guys are just totally there's no trapeze net is there like this is it
0: N- no um and and you know what i i guess so Like I said, like where I come from with like into this, into YouTube was super different. So like I left the career track, like what I went to school for was film. I had this job. I immediately knew that I wasn't going to do that job. So um, I just went back to working in restaurants. I was a line cook. Um, I worked at a bar as a bar back just to make money to pay rent. And then I was making YouTube videos and, and writing blog posts and jokes for free for years just because I wanted to I I don't know there was no goal there was no like well you know eventually I'm going to sell a, a script in Hollywood like I wasn't working on that it was just like I have ideas I want to get them out of my brain and put them someplace else so that they can like live someplace else, even if it's just on the internet, on a site that nobody looks at. At least I know that they're not like bothering me in my head anymore, and that's where I came from. And I was content working um, in restaurants. Like if if I never got paid to make YouTube videos, I probably would. Well, honestly, I'd probably own like a bar or something at this point and be
2: okay with that. What, what kind of line cook? Let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Cause, like, what did you, oh, what kind of food are we talking? Chicken wings. Yeah. You good at it? I was, I mean, I've been out of the game for, uh, <laughs> been out of the no, game. No, like, for, like what's, what's an ideal chicken wing? Like what amount of batter are we talking here? Oh, ever, no batter. Don't... No, no, no. What? No, no, no. No batter. Batter is,
0: is out of the <laughs> question just what yeah 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 you just deep fry it um you know naked no batter for uh 13 minutes at 350 i think like like i said it's been a while but um yeah because you want that just natural crisp skin and then you make like a baller sauce from scratch um that drums are drums are flat Uh, drums are flat i'm a drums guy oh yeah yeah i kind of like the flats dude the flats, you got to deal with the bones around the meat and with the drums. You
2: do, but, but but you do, but they're they're like more symmetric and stuff. I don't know. I I think I like the flats. You know when
1: people eat them vertically? Hey, they have yeah. you know the
2: flats, and they do the thing where you like suck
1: the entire thing clean. I've never been able to bring myself to do. That. <laughs> you <know?
2: laughs> it's just something about it feels
1: wrong. Yeah, it's like it's like eating a hot dog instead of it being parallel to the ground, like eating a hot dog, like. Perpendicular like, to the ground,
0: like
2: you just don't do vertically. This. Like <laughs> a vertical hot dog eating sounds disgusting. <laughs> this is where this is where this needs to be. I don't know what your podcast ultimately is going to turn into, but it needs to be this. Like <laughs> this is where like you should have a, a moment in every episode where you get to some guy talking about eating a hot dog vertically or horizontally. <laughs> By the way, when I was young, one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to be the guy that put mustard on hot dogs for commercials. Like the perfect zigzag, this like the sine wave, like the perfect. Yeah, because I knew that. But the thing is, they had to do it on camera, like a French's mustard commercial or whatever. Like the the mustard, mm-hmm. you know, nozzle would come in and perfectly apply. And I always wondered how they did that. I, I follow a couple of people on Instagram that do that kind of thing. You know, cake like cake dec- decorators have such a steady hand with that yeah. custom icing. Like I bet it's the same skill set to get that I don't know, That's nice wave it's it's a desirable s- skill set that's the kind of thing that you know If this youtube thing hadn't worked out i would have gone after that hardcore so is that your is that your white whale is that
1: the gold the golden <laughs> ring you're still trying to achieve
2: the, the perfect mustard application
1: <laughs> you know, like like oh well I, I i guess i did get to talk to barack obama for a little bit when he was president and like that's kind of cool but what i really
0: want what I really need. <laughs> well, I sense a video here because you could talk about like viscosity and like the rate at which the mustard comes out of the bottle and I mean there's, dude, there, there's
2: th- stuff here. you were about to open a genie you don't even know exists. I mean, <laughs> dude, okay, so like I worked as a mechanical engineering intern at Little Debbie Snack Cakes for a while. What? Yeah, do you, you know Little of Debbie Snack Yeah, but yeah. right. how is that even a job? <laughs> well, it's, it totally is a job. It's a McKee Foods in Collegedale, Tennessee and, and so like I interviewed, dude, I've I've interviewed for several positions in my life. We'll just say some very important interviews that everybody wants to be in the room to do that interview. I've done those interviews in my in my life. But the most interesting video, probably by far, or at least the most technical, was the Little Debbie snack cake interview. They pushed this piece of paper across the table and they just they didn't say anything. They just pushed it across the table and they just let me look at it. And it was a piping diagram for a cake manufacturing line. And I just looked at it. and Okay, there's a check valve. Got it. Okay. And and I'm looking at everything. And they're just kind of crossing their arms like that, just looking at me, just seeing how I'm taking it in. And they said, do you see the pump at position five? Yes, sir, I do. Walk us through what you would need to know in order to size that cake batter pump. Like that was the question. I was like, holy crap, let's do this. And so (laughs) I looked at it and I kind of looked up at him and it's like, you know, like good, the bad and the ugly kind of. I was like, all right, well, for starters, I need to know the diameter of the pipe. I need to know how many elbows there are here. I need to know what type of fitting you're using right there. I need to know, you know, what kind of power do I have? Do I have, you know, all this kind of stuff? And then I I said everything I needed, and I pushed it back across the table, and I was like, yeah, I I could tell you the size of that pump if you gave me that information. And there was a pause, and I said, oh, one more thing. I need to know the kinematic viscosity of the cake batter too. You didn't tell me, you didn't give me that information, but you give me that I can size that pump. And they were like, you're hired." <laughs> <was like>, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a fascinating job. Anyway, I'm but sorry. That, this is just an internship. Yeah, it was an internship. And so the cool thing about that job is uh, you would be in a room. So I was working on rice, crispy cakes. Okay. And so I, I worked on the, it's called the double slit guillotine, uh, device that would make these rice crispy cakes and you had to time it and it was camshafts and all kinds of stuff but you would find yourself in these meetings with these seasons engineers and they were trying to figure out why their sprinkles were clumping up on the cosmic brownies right <laughs> <laughs> but none of them could say sprinkles they, they said topping distribution and so they would say things like our topping distribution deviation is well below acceptable levels we need to more you know, more randomly distribute these things. And so I'm thinking a more vibratory method on on the cascade would work. And so they couldn't say sprinkles. Like they would not say sprinkles. They would not say icing. It was always topping. It was always filler. It was always covering. Like they were just a little proud of what they did, but it was fascinating.
0: Because those words made it seem less important?
2: I don't know. I don't know. At the end of the day, I was just happy knowing that we were rolling out, you know, 50,000 snack cakes to happy kids all over the world. I thought it was fantastic. But in their minds, I am a professional engineer. You know, I went to the University of Michigan State, you know, food distribution program or whatever it is. There's a fancy school up there that does stuff with food. They were like trying to be professional. I was like, come on, dude. We're cutting up Rice Krispie Cakes and then we're we're flash freezing it with liquid nitrogen and then packaging it. This is it's okay to say this is awesome. It's okay.
1: You know if, if I read two obituaries and one of them went through like the academic credentials and, and training and preparation for that job, would be like, okay. And if the other obituary was just like, he filled fifty thousand ding dongs a day. <laughs> I
0: I'd put the paper down, just to be like, damn, that was a Maybe life not ding dongs though. I mean that could I be love ding-dongs. I love ding dongs. I and just could be misinterpreted Ding, dongs, quickly. Cool. <laughs> like, like you know, If I'm just reading that in the newspaper, well, I'm thinking like that's that's one of their products, is not?
2: it? You know, like uh, no, it's not actually. Oh, is that's, that hostess? that's
1: Hostess. That's the competitor. Yeah. Oh,
2: so Ho Hos are probably Hostess too. They are. Yeah. Nutty Buddies. Those are definitely Little Debbie. Nutty bars. And so the cool thing about the Nutty Bar line is the oven that makes the wafers. And I'm not allowed to talk about it. I'm trying. That's that's actually my white whale. There's a couple of things that the Little Debbie snack cake plant that i've contacted them i was like let me freaking do a video about how you do this part of the process because i can make it amazing i promise and they're just like oh yeah maybe we'll talk i'm like no you don't understand we will sell so many zebra cakes and so Wait, I don't know, what, why I don't do. they want
0: to do it because they don't want to release their secrets or they just don't think it's worth the investment because that that know. does sound
2: awesome. Like who would not watch that? Yeah, I want to watch that. Freaking amazing, dude! Like it's not, it's it's a combination of how it's made, but you also include the math of how it's made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like if I were sitting there in front of the how it's made script, being like, okay, the reason we're doing this is because in the manufacturing, you know, that would be awesome. But for, I don't know. It's like they they use traditional marketing methods. I don't I don't really know why. But I've I've had some some Twitter DMs with the, the little Debbie snack cake people. So like get on it, little Debbie, let's do this. Wait,
0: who are the cool, who is the, is moon pie? Like there's some really hip social media snack cake brand. I think it's moon
2: pie. Um, No, no. Little Debbie is pretty cool. They They are cool. They, They are. Okay. Yeah. Little Debbie and Wendy's on Twitter. They had a, they hosted a show on Twitter where little Debbie and, you know, in Wendy's, like the two icons of, of little bitty girls, they were bringing on like Pop-Tarts and they were like asking Pop-Tarts questions and they kick it over to to Taco Bell. Like they're with it. Yeah. The guy that, the guy that, that, well, it's actually a team, I think, but the people that were doing it were amazing. So I just really want to, I really want to do that video. That's my white whale, but I got to get back to this. <laughs> so one of the things one of the things on the the Nutty Bar line or whatever yeah, it is, yeah. just imagine a sheet like six feet wide of as many Nutty Bars flying past you in random distributions as you can imagine, just, whoosh, just moving right by you. There's a lady... That sits in a chair, and she has a long rod with a little bitty hook on the end. And she'll be sitting there talking to her her friend Janice. She's like, "Oh, Janice, how them you know, how your grandkids doing? blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, like a laser beam, she'll just look straight at the line. and like with a flick of the wrist, she'll just stab that deformed nutty bar straight through the heart. And she'll just tap it off in a bin for the coal pile. And like, you could yes, you she's could like a frog, probably catching a fly. It's amazing. She's like a chameleon. And like, I'm sure with some, you know, the AI algorithms that have been developed in the 20 years since I've done this, you could create an artificial Janice, but you don't want to because it's amazing. Like watching her work, I used to go in there and act like I was working on the line and I would take a little extra time just to watch the precision, which she could use this like four foot long stabby thing and she would just hit stuff. It was amazing. It was fantastic. You know, that's the sort yeah. of thing that could have been a chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's blink.
1: Like that, <laughs> that legitimately, like truly is processing that sort of mistake at a rapid speed and then making that happen. You know, when he was talking about uh, being able to tell if a tennis serve was going to be in or out at the impact of the ball when you were watching.
2: Like that's the calculation that happens. So there's but, a, but yeah. you have to make a decision. Yeah. It's one thing to just, to just see it and observe it, but you actually have to decide and act. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's the part that was so fascinating to me because she didn't get many of them wrong. I mean, just, you know, in the probably 20 minutes, I, I watched her over the the course of the summer, you know, just out of the corner of my eye, hoping that she wouldn't see that I was just in awe of what she was doing. But it, I don't know. Yeah. I need to read more of Malcolm Gladwell stuff, by the way. I haven't read one of his... Are they books? What does he do? I, I know there's a podcast that he's done. I've listened to one or two episodes of that. Yeah, there's yeah. a, a few books. Yeah, uh, the Tipping Point. Tipping
0: Point was big. Uh, Blink was after that. Yeah. But I mean, that sort of reaction is not even like a frontal lobe-like decision, right? I mean, you're just... Oh, it's lizard brain just for sure. You're straight up lizard brain um, reaction. <laughs> it's just motor cortex and nothing else. Yeah. It's it's yeah. unbelievable, and 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 I would again, I'd watch that video. Yeah, I mean, I would watch a, a short documentary about Janice. Well,
2: the 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 long probe or whatever the heck the word is for the the device that she used to stab those nutty bars through the heart. It is an extension of her body. Like there is a there is a man machine interface story to be told there. I don't know what it is, but it's it's amazing. Yeah, she's the six million dollar nutty bar
0: stabber. (laughs) (laughs) So this is this is off topic, but
1: I just I'll never have a a chance to tell this story, probably as long as I live. So I'm going to do this. So I buy my little Debbie snack cakes at an expired food auction that's way out in the woods in New York. Really? Yeah. So it's kind of like it's in a barn and, you know, they sell a bunch of old stuff. It's a consignment auction, but sometimes they have yeah, they have food, and there's a table of uh, chips and uh, snack cakes that they've purchased for you know pennies who, on the dollar. Who's they? Or... Who who puts this together? Who's expired food? The auctioneer. Is it? I mean, I it think they from buy supermarkets. <laughs> yeah, from like nearby grocery stores. Okay. And, yeah, I think so.
2: This is not like a ring of like thieves that go no. to, like knock up <laughs> grocery stores and
0: <laughs> but, knock up um, like this, abandoned grocery stores with their yeah, expired food.
2: This week's haul is amazing. <laughs> we, we've got
0: canned oysters. <laughs>
1: it fell off a truck (laughs) deviled ham from 1940 but to give the auctioneer a break they have uh, snack cakes out on a table and they'll say like cakes a dollar and you know everybody rushes up to to get those and that gives the guy five minutes a box of cakes or for a dollar Yeah, yeah okay um so i love the nutty bars And there was one huge box of nutty bars. I don't know if it's like a family pack or what. And I start going up there and there is this uh, there is an Amish guy who was the the row in front of me at the auction. And he was going to the table, too. And so we get there at the same time (laughs) and I see his hand like going to the nutty bars And, and it just kicked back off, Jedediah. Yeah. <laughs> it just kicked in. Like I had to like take a step. You know, it's like being under the basket and like kind of like hip check him out. You boxed him out. <laughs> yeah, I had to box him out to get to the night. This, like this is like a Black Friday Walmart video. A little bit the closest I've ever come to behaving that way. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't, you know, terrible. And he grabbed some cherry pies instead. And that's cool. Did he
0: give you a look? Did he say anything? Like he uh, must have known you. You physically... I looked straight at the ground for the rest of the night okay. after after doing that. Oh okay. no,
2: dude, you own that. You look him straight in the eye, and then you you kind of turn your, your head up a little bit and you do the alpha male thing. That's how that works.
0: I wave the nutty bars on his on his face. I've been in his no, position. No, no, you so just slowly
2: times. open one and you eat it in the back part of the room, just maintaining direct eye contact. Like lick it like a
1: tootsie pop and count the licks.
2: <laughs> just eat half of it and throw it on the ground just to spite him. Just because I can. But yeah, I don't know what I don't know what you wanted me on this podcast for but I I think we're getting I think this is what you need
0: (laughs) (laughs) we're getting it we're getting there (laughs) this episode of the create unknown is sponsored by brilliant.org Okay, Matt, real quick. I want to talk about the videos that we've been doing over on Vsauce 2. Yeah. You know, uh, for those who don't know, Matt actually researches and writes these videos with me on Vsauce 2. And lately, we've been working on a lot of stuff regarding probability because of how surprising and unintuitive it is.
1: Yeah. Every time we take a look at a subject that involves probability, statistics, there's kind of a struggle to accept it. It's not like the math is very hard, but people seem to have a tough time believing the math, really. We see that in the comments uh, on those last few videos, don't we?
0: Yeah, well, that's what actually I find so fascinating about it is that the math isn't hard, but we still just don't figure out that type of math naturally in our minds. Like, it it really just sort of needs to be written out. And sometimes even when it is written out, people don't believe it. Like when we did the the Monty Hall problem, there are still comments in that video that are like, like, no, you're wrong. And it's like, well, uh, it's unbelievable. But what's cool is that there's a really great platform to practice probability, and that's on brilliant.org who I'm really excited that we brought on to work with and to partner with on this podcast. I've worked with them before on Vsauce 2 and it's just really such a cool service because it teaches you how to think about things. It's not just like you go on there, you memorize facts and then you regurgitate them later and pretend that you know something. Like you are going through and really understanding these concepts at a deep level, like probability. They have an entire course just on probability.
1: Yeah, and that's broken down into a bunch of little, really useful sections. It starts with an intro, and then it goes into each of those subtopics, eventually to things like variance, which uh, that's one of the problems that we saw people really have with those videos. They don't understand the fluctuations. It's just not natural to them.
0: Right, and what's cool about once you understand this, because it doesn't come naturally to most people, is I feel like you almost kind of have this secret knowledge about the way things work. It's like you put on those special sunglasses, from John Carpenter's They Live, (laughs) and all of a sudden, (laughs) you're seeing the world um, in like this brand new way. It's not
1: cheesy, though. That's exactly what it is when you say secret knowledge.
0: Yeah. What was the thing that you said about baseball? We were talking about this, I think, last week, where if a team gets like three hits in a row, the the odds of that are just so, so low that that's why the the manager freaks out and pulls that pitcher uh, almost immediately.
1: Yeah, if you think about like a pretty good all-star caliber player is going to have a 300 batting average right so the probability of him getting a a hit is three out of ten the next guy comes up let's say he's the same caliber player combine those two probabilities and you're looking at something that has a 10 percent chance of happening in combination and then the third guy comes in you know he gets a hit well that combination of the three hits from these really good all-star level players is like three percent you know a manager is looking and saying hey this thing that 97 times out of 100 won't happen just did. so maybe it's time for a pitching change.
0: Yeah, well, so if you want to understand the importance of probability and problem solving and learn these concepts in a way that you can apply them to pretty much anything, then you can go to brilliant.org slash thecreateunknown, and the first 200 of you that do that and go to the link will get 20% off the annual premium subscription. But you have to go to brilliant.org slash thecreateunknown. That's .org like organization or organism or... I was going to say origami, but that's that's not right. At all. <laughs> not, not
1: origami. <laughs> Definitely not like
0: no. origami. No, no. It's brilliant.org slash the create unknown. Go check it out. All right. Back to the show.
1: So, yeah, you've been like you're a serious OG in the YouTube game to in the sense that you've. Seen it, what it's like to be a creator at the beginning. You see what it's like now. Uh, and there are how many people every day like trying to break in with new channels and build right. channels and all of that stuff. What's different about it now? What do new creators, like somebody's opening a channel tomorrow. What's new
2: about that that wasn't there before? Infinitely harder. It is so hard to create a YouTube channel right now. You have to be excellent. Think about all the money that is poured into YouTube right now by major networks, by, I mean, just think about Fallon. They have a team of editors just pumping out content, and they're probably putting money behind getting it shown on YouTube by running stuff as ads. I mean, you didn't have to compete with anything like that early on. You just had to be yourself and interesting, right? Oh, yeah. And I think there's a temptation for people to look at the numbers on Vsauce 2 and then look at the numbers on the video that they just uploaded and say, holy cow, man, I'm, I'm only getting 20,000 views on my video. Like my best video on my whole channel is only 20,000 views. And people lose sight of the fact that that's an entire coliseum of humans, you, you know? And so I try to, <laughs> yeah, I try to true. think about scale in terms of how many Alabama football games watched that video, A- Alabama football games worth of people. Like, cause you know, football is big in Alabama. And so you go, to this one stadium and you see 100,000 people in one location, that is a huge number. And I look around the stadium. And I'm like, if I were to walk up and try to have like a meaningful conversation about nutty bars with every one of these people, that would just not work. You know, pe- you know, I, no, it just, I mean, like <laughs> no, if I look yeah, around be- and just like the level of engagement I would get with each individual is just, you know, low. But on YouTube, someone that watches your video, it's high. And and like this podcast, for example, the people that listen to this, if they're, you know, however many minutes in we are, they actually care about what's being said. That is a high level of, you know, mental engagement. Yeah. I mean, 20,000 people is an NBA game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's an NBA. That's 20,000 people are watching LeBron James. I mean, there's millions on at home on TV, obviously, but in the arena. Yeah. It's a lot of people. Yeah. You know, we did a quick back of the envelope kind of thing uh, with Vsauce a
1: few a few weeks ago. Whatever, and, and came up with uh, roughly how many years of human experience have gone into viewing these videos? And when we uh, we just did an estimate on uh, on video length and views, and it came to something like thirty five thousand years of humanity combined have been spent watching this channel. And you look back and if somebody did that start to finish, you're going back to the first time like dogs lived with humans or humans decided to make a village like that's a gaudy statistic. And when you think about just the tremendous volume of minutes and time, uh, when you do that on a small scale. Let's say, uh, let's say it's a video that's five minutes long and gets ten thousand views. Uh, Fifty thousand minutes—that's six, seven weeks. You're like all these people. If you were to replicate humanity's viewing of your ten thousand view video, you'd have to sit there in this chair from now through, you know, two months from now. That's
2: shocking. That's a a tremendous thing. If you you look at this podcast, for example, The Create Unknown, this is a new medium for you, right? Like you are are used to doing things on YouTube. But what I find interesting about this particular format, the podcast, is that you can engage mentally with people on a much deeper level. So we can flesh out the ideas of what we did in Science Olympiad. We can talk about, you know, the the nuances of Nutty Bars and people that are hanging with us are actually on this (laughs) huge, like hugely insular I, that's maybe the wrong word we're, we're in that thing together like you and i when we talked about you know some science olympiad stuff we we'd done we instantly kind of bonded in this really interesting unique way po- podcasts yeah. in my mind yep. are way better at letting people do that we connect in a more deep you know it's like avatar we hair melded better you know what i'm talking about you take your hair out and you <laughs> usb meld with with somebody else that's that's more of what a what a podcast is to me. So, you know, i I think that's I think that's the unique thing about this particular platform, the audio platform, that you don't really get with YouTube.
0: Well, and it's the the found time aspect is what I find really fascinating. So, the fact that you can listen to a podcast while you're um, operating a forklift, for instance. That's just changed life itself for so many millions of people where you can just constantly be learning. You know, there was nothing when we were kids, you know, you learned at school, you, you could learn from your parents, you can learn from your dad asking you, you know, things about uh, the shape of the earth. But today, man, you could just be constantly surrounding yourself with knowledge and. I don't know. I find that so amazing. Like, it's, it's impossible to artic- articulate. Yeah, it's changed. Uh, I mean, it, it's
1: changed the operation of vehicles. Yes. Uh, so so I, I was involved in, you know, kind of education things and from policy to curriculum going back. And I remember kind of this was many years ago, kind of scoffing at the idea that this uh, this one teacher said that like school buses need to be vessels of learning. And I was like, uh, this is this is not going to work. They wanted to put posters up on the bus that like taught facts or something like that. Um, Vessels of learning. I kind of laughed at that. Well, the podcast has made every car like every automobile of any kind can be pumping in whatever content uh, that that the driver wants on demand for free. Really useful stuff. It can be just pure entertainment, too, which is its own utility. Like if you drive for two hours and don't hate to drive, that's a good thing. Uh, but you know, I I drive three four hours at a time, and I don't even think twice about it. Like I'm actually excited to do right. this because right. I can just pop on. Like all right, this is my my four hour like curriculum that's happening today.
2: Everything that I'm super interested in. I drive the tractor. That's what that's where I do it. Like yeah, I cannot tell you the amount of times I've like relearned a, a certain attribute of orbital mechanics that I didn't quite understand, but I thought I did, while simultaneously moving a log with, with the front end loader on the tractor. You know, like, oh, crap, man, that's awesome. You know, I never thought about, there's this really interesting book that I listened, and, and books are great for that, too. There's one book I listened to um, called Seven Eaves. It's just okay. really weird sci-fi kind of thing. Is that an Orson Scott card? No, no, that, no, you're no. thinking about Ender's Game.
1: No, no, oh no, he did something with Seven Generations and I I mixed that up.
2: Yeah, sorry about oh, that. Well, I haven't, I haven't listened to that. No, it's it's just a really interesting thing. Uh, the moon blows up and people try to figure out how to live kind of thing. But mm. it's, it's fascinating and it teaches me stuff while I'm on the tractor, which is a pretty dang good place to learn. I like that. <laughs> the forklift thing was interesting. When you said forklift, I was like, oh, wow, there are people that are forklift drivers for- eight hours at a time. I've never thought about that. Yeah, and, and you can't read a book, you know,
0: while you're, like, like if you're sitting on a bus or in an airplane, you could read a book. So you could still learn there. But there are plenty of jobs where, uh, well, even driving a tractor, like you can't really read a book. You gotta have to pay attention to where you're like you know, mowing or, or, or lifting logs. But you can listen. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people probably learn better that way anyway, you know, and remember better by listening than because, you know, reading, I think, I think we over reading and reading comprehension are they're tough. I think that, that, that generally we underestimate like kind of how hard, like I have a hard time with it. Like I'll, I'll read a book and, and sometimes I'll have to go back and reread pages because, you know, my mind wanders, I start thinking about something or something in the book makes me trigger, you know, some sort of thought train. And all of a sudden I've gone three pages and I've like blanked out, you know, it's kind of like when you're driving and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I don't remember the last two miles right <laughs> because you're like locked in and, and thought that happens to me all the time while, um, while reading. And I feel like at least for me, paying attention
2: to listening, um, that happens less. Well, I think it's because you're engaging with another human, the person that's reading to you or the person that's talking to you like this. I think however you think like it all happened, I think ultimately we humans are made to interact with other humans. However you think that happened, we we simply that's why thumbnails on YouTube with human faces do better than thumbnails of objects. You know, I mean, we interact with other humans. That's just our nature. And so I think the podcast format is that like it is. Us talking with each other, at least that's the way it feels for me. So you've like you've branched off to different things
1: from uh, from doing speaking gigs. uh, That was a big thing. Yeah. And to uh, conducting interviews, to having a podcast that that is an extension uh, of some of your work, too, Uh, is part of that is part of the value in doing all of that is that you get to communicate with people differently in different formats on different platforms. Uh, Does that help? does that help you
2: maintain kind of the, the creativity with everything? No, I, I just think they're just uh, opportunities that come up. And, and I mean, once you see a target of opportunity, you take it, you know, would you like to interview the president? Uh, yeah. What, what do I have to do to make that happen? (laughs) Right. Do, Do you want to, you know, whatever it is that you can do now, now the one exception to that I would say is the speaking gigs like, uh, Um, Kevin, I know you've given a lot of talks at places like that, but so if you think about the amount of time we're spending here on this microphone, that's, you know, whatever it is, an hour and a half, whatever you end up doing here, that's the amount of time you can engage with these other human brains. That's a lot of return on investment. But if you go to a location and you speak to one room of people about one thing, then that's a much smaller return on investment. And so often when, like I did this backwards bicycle video a while back, and a lot of corporations like to use that as an illustration for, hey, we're changing our policies and you, worker in our company, should start to think about the new policies we made and you're having a hard time with it just because your brain's in a rut. You know, mm. They like me to talk about this, this backward bicycle concept or this unlearning concept, which is really, really cool and it has a specific application in a room in a corporate setting. So I'd say that is the only aspect of what I do. That is very much a uh, a business type decision. So I will go give a corporate talk, and you know I have to think about how long I'm going to be away from my children. I'm not going to be a dad for this day, because I'm going to go to this location and you know in a different state, and I'm going to give this talk. So with the exception of the corporate talk, which I really enjoy, by the way, because they're often very effective. Um, for me, I learn stuff about the companies, and for the company themselves. With the exception of that, almost everything else I do is just about connecting with people. But there is an element of the corporate talk that also is a financial decision, right? I mean, it just me- sure. it just makes sense because ultimately I want to be at my son's baseball game if I can, you know. And so I think it makes sense to do that.
1: Yeah, that's just uh, an opportunity cost calculation, isn't it? It is. Uh, where what's uh, what's
2: most valuable to me, Kevin? I know you have started to give talks. At different places. I mean, you did Vienna, TEDx Vienna. You've done other things recently. W- w- you're starting to dabble in this, aren't you? Um, not not as much as maybe you're thinking. Um, I did
0: uh, give a couple of lectures last year on a, a, a Royal Caribbean cruise for the solar eclipse, and uh, the TEDx thing is coming up in um, it's coming up soon. So I have I haven't done my TEDx thing yet. I mean, by the time this comes
2: out, I will. Have, You'll have done but... it. Yeah. Can I give you Can I give you some recommendation for that? Yes, yes, yes. So I didn't prepare as much as I wish I had. Um, I really wanted to not have a script, and I wanted to just be me, and I did that. But one thing I didn't account for is they did not mic up the room. They didn't put a microphone in the room. And so I went to this location to speak to people in a room. I, I was first and foremost present in the room, and then, oh yeah, this thing they're gonna put on the internet is an afterthought. And so in the room... There were moments where people are laughing and I'm looking at a specific individual in the audience and we're connecting and they just did not, they, they did not put any laughter in the YouTube video at all. (laughs) So it sounds like I went back and watched it. I was like, oh wow, this is trash because it looks like everything I'm talking about just falls flat, but I'm actually playing stuff of all, you know, off the audience and stuff like that. So make sure when you do that talk, you, if you have to, you take an audio recorder and you put it in the audience. Because you're going to connect with the people in the room, right? And uh, just make sure you do that, or you know, make sure they make sure they get the audio figured out. They had pro- problems with it when I did it. Okay, the same thing happened to Jake,
0: by the way. If you watch Jake's TEDx talk, um, it all of the comments below are like, "Wow, what was wrong with this audience? They they really suck." Blah 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 blah. For
2: exactly what you just outlined. And what's interesting is I told the individuals I was like it is important that you let the audience be heard in this. Like I, I, I went to great lengths to do it and they just didn't like at the end, they're like, okay, this is what we're going to upload. And they upload it. And I was like, you don't, you don't understand. This is like my name. This is who I am. And this is what you're uploading. I know this is just one of the 10 speeches that you upload, but you know, yeah. I think that's the thing about us that, you know, we create and edit things online. We want to make sure that it communicates exactly what we want to communicate because ultimately, your name is your brand. Yeah, you you work under Vsauce, but you are who you are, and people are tuning in because you are a personality, right? I said tune in. I'm sorry, that's a that's a leftover from old language, but you, you understand what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, I think that that permeates um, all YouTubers' uh, ethos to a T, because and and actually leads to a lot of problems that I think uh, um, a lot of the the burnout issues that you read about where people are doing too much they are being too precious with their content. I mean, I am totally guilty of that. Like I am not good at allowing somebody else to edit my videos. I edit my own videos. Or if someone in the past has edited a video for me, I finish it to make sure like, well, I want the text to come in, you know, here I want the music to drop here because at the end of the day, like you said, it's like nobody knows who worked on this they just know that it's kevin so if it's not kevin then it's not kevin and
2: i'm not going to be happy to stand behind it i don't know man if you i feel that if you don't touch it and you're not interacting with the content like sometimes if 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 you cut a frame three frames before um it matters like the comedic timing is important and things like that so maybe i am just maybe i'm just still in that place that that you're thinking i shouldn't be in but you know, there's a couple of people like I'll, I'll give somebody a hard drive and be like, can you please look at this and give me like 30 minutes of content from all of this footage that you think is interesting and just lay that out on a timeline. And then I'll, I'll see it through to the end kind of thing. Or, um, that's something I do a lot. As a matter of fact, there's a guy that's working with me on the civil war thing where we're looking at all the footage and if it's interesting to him who wasn't there, like, Oh, that's, there's a pretty good indication that that's interesting. And then, You know, as he lays that out, then the story starts to take shape for me. Yeah, no, I'm
0: not at all implying that that's not what you should be doing. I think that um, that is what, at the end of the day, we all have to do, kind of, to be able to upload a video to our channel because um, I don't know. Maybe it's different for like musicians because I think of like musicians who a million different people write their songs, and like I could never, I just could never do that. Like, you know, you look at the, the listing of the amount of people that work on like pop songs, like whatever the top 40 is, it's never like the, the person who's singing the song and is known for the song. There's always like 10,000 other people involved. Right. Um, and I feel like YouTube YouTubers in general kind of are the opposite of that for the most part. Like they want, and that's what the audience wants. They want that authentic connection with the creator's voice and their vision and their product. You know, seeing seeing so many
1: YouTubers grow from uh, a small channel into something bigger, right? They have, this is the classic entrepreneur's problem where you have an idea, you do something, you start to scale that idea, but you still want to preserve the quality of what you're doing, uh, the vision, it's still your vision. And as you bring people in or expand, uh, how do you maintain that it's, uh, how do you maintain all of those elements that were part of your big idea. That's really, really tough. And some people have done that a lot more successfully than others in the YouTube space. You know, we've seen people build really big, efficient teams uh, where their content comes out pretty much uh, as as it was when
0: they did everything themselves. Like uh, I think of immediately. Yeah, Do you know system. No. Uh, we should look at him sometime. He is... Uh, unbelievable the the systems that he's created um these like checklists and all this stuff uh he read a book about how mcdonald's works this is so funny like he read i don't i don't know what the book is called but it explains how systematized mcdonald's is so that you can have a mcdonald's anywhere in the world and they're exactly the same but yeah man he has these two apps that he like works in tandem with each other one is slack i don't remember what the other one is probably trello Yeah, that's what it is. And he has all these checklists and he has all these employees and one employee literally does nothing but thumbnails. And there's like a series of like gateways that need to be passed, like um, approval gateways, from like you know potential thumbnail to like final thumbnail or whatever what? for e- for everything for video ideas to the edits to the thumbnails whatever the whole process. That's amazing. And he just kind of like sits back like a friggin' genius kingpin and just like pr- does approvals all day and and hosts the videos. He does you know the the hosting of them, but that's it. But it's systematized to a point where what he's getting like fifty million views a month or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. But the really important thing is that what comes out of the end of that system is something that he's happy with and that he likes. And so having constructed that system where the result is what he hopes for, that's insane. He figured it out. Yeah, that's incredible. And and how many people or how many times have you seen where somebody doesn't want to have somebody else even touch their stuff? They don't want to edit it. Well, just like you said, Mm. where you would prefer to do this. Uh, being able to hand it off, feel good about that, not be filled with anxiety about the outcome, but then have the outcome be what you need. Uh, it's really difficult to scale up
2: what you're doing and, and keep that result.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I'm i bad at it. I'm bad at it. I think it, it requires a certain amount of maturity. And uh, what's the word? I don't know. There's a word there bravery maybe it takes a certain amount of bravery to be like okay I'm going to ratchet this up to the next level my fear in scaling is that it loses the magic that makes it work Mm. right If, if if I'm genuinely interested in yardsticks and how they're printed and the uncertainty of measurements related to the thickness of the line on yardsticks for example obviously there's a yardstick in the office here I'm looking at if I'm genuinely interested in that then I think that needs to come through not just like, okay, well, here's five ideas that my team and I came up with on a board, and I'm going to talk to you about the intricacies of this one right now, and I'm going to kind of act like I'm interested. You know, for me, at least, I have to genuinely be interested in it, but um, maybe that's just the type of content I make. I, I don't think I could scale very well. A gamer, I mean, obviously, that, that could scale pretty easily as many hours as you'd be willing to chain yourself to a desk that's scale right yeah i do think you're right i do think that there's something about the edu space that
0: really screams genuine curiosity from the creator i think that there have been companies that have tried to do that at scale um, that haven't done it successfully have tried to kind of crank out like a, a
2: video every day about like you know what was the name of that gaming system you made a video I mean, you, you, it started with a Z or, or no, an X. Oh, Zorba? Yeah, that was fantastic. Like, that video was absolutely excellent in every way. It was one of the best pieces of internet I've seen in a really, really long time. It had history. It had social stuff. It had econ- you know, economics in it. It had, like, user experience stuff. And it had all these things wrapped into one video. There's no way you could have outsourced that. Did you? No, no,
0: no, 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 Tell definitely me, not. No, yeah, because it's the kind of thing where, yeah, you just, one person kind of, you know, you kind of have to learn along the way what's going to be interesting about a 30-year-old computer.
1: And even that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily like a foolproof thing because as you were writing that script, right, we would talk about a couple things and like I would say – oh, this thing is awesome. Like th- what happened with Infocom who made Zork, the way this company evolved, they started the company uh, and chose the name Infocom because it sounded like a legitimate software company, but they had no idea what they were going to make. They literally chose the name and then decided what they were going to do as a company. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. This is awesome. And you were like, yeah, uh, not. Not really. Like, not worth 45 seconds in this video. No, yeah. Like, so I'm sitting there, like, had I made the Zorba video,
2: it would have been terrible. <laughs> you did you know? make the yeah. did you make the intro sequence for that video? Uh
0: with Eric. Uh Eric and I collaborated on that. Yeah. Like the 3D modeling and all that? You did all that? Eric did the 3D model. Um uh, who Eric who does our VFX. Uh dude, he banged that out in like an afternoon. And
2: then he... The amount of... I mean, like, the level at which you interacted with me mentally was very, very deep. It made me remember the smell in my room growing up where my dad had the computer and taught me GW Basic programming language. Like, I could remember the smell of the disks, and I could remember the sound when we would crank up the operating system on the disk that was spinning up. It's hard to know that, though, because, like, I didn't really know until you
0: just said... That to me right now, because we're doing a podcast together, that that resonated with you at such a level, you know, it's it's so hard to get that feedback, even with YouTube comments, like there'll be 3000 YouTube comments and like maybe two of them will be like that level of quality. And most of them are like, this was cool, or like, thanks, or when are you going to make another mind blow? You know, it's like, yeah. it's hard I don't know, I, and maybe this is just a different topic in general. But sometimes I feel like it's hard to g- get that um, what like assurance that what you're doing is good. Or well, it's hard to have perspective on anything you do yourself.
1: I mean, that's just that's just the way it is. Is like,
0: but like I'm, you know, I'm. We're making this video very by myself for the most part. You know, I'm editing by myself in this room, like like in my home. And then I upload it and walk away. And, like, who the heck knows that... It's like you nurtured this baby bird... And, and toss it out like, the window. From your <laughs> <their> own breasts.
2: <laughs> like, birds don't yeah, drink milk. Yeah. But you, you, in my, you, you, you let this video suckle from your breasts. <laughs> and then you turned it out into the world as your own little creation. And then, and then you just yeah, don't know what happened. It just, just flies away. away
0: and never comes back to my bird feeder. And, you know... Uh,
2: yeah, exactly. I mean, like, that... You put you you put your lifeblood into that thing. I mean, and it's clear. anybody who's ever made video knows. Oh wow, he got he got a lighting set and he lit the room and he rotated Zorba on a stinking dolly or whatever it is you did. You d- did you use a lazy susan to rotate Zorba? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I knew all that. And so, like, it's cool, right? And so, I don't know. Yeah, you're not. But I think the point is, you need to create that stuff because that's what we do. We we create because that's, I mean, I that's what humans do, man. I remember seeing a guy down the road here. I remember he was probably 85. I drove by and I saw him on in the front yard painting a gazebo. And I remember a, two thoughts came to my mind. I was like, old man, you're going to die before the paint wears off of that gazebo. Who are you painting that gazebo for? And... What he was doing is he was creating order. He was fighting against entropy and he was creating something beautiful because that's what we as humans do. And, you know, he was doing it right next to like new pecan trees he had planted. He's never going to eat those pecans, but he's creating order and his grandchildren might eat those. I mean, that's ultimately what I want to do with my life. I want to create a better environment for my children to live in or just other people in general. You don't have to be a parent. Like, I just want to create a better place than when I got here. And, uh, I mean, everybody's philosophy on that is different. You know, I, I have specific beliefs that factor into why I want to do things like that. And um, I don't know. I, I think there's two types of people. There's the ones that want to create. And then there's the ones that want to let other people create. And, and, you know, they just prefer to consume, right? And so you're a creator. And, um, I think you should lean into that. And I think it's okay to just create something and turn it loose. And, you know, only some dude in Alabama appreciates the fact that you got a dolly out to make that shot really cool on Zorba. Or, you know, I think it's okay for only a couple of people to love it. And it's okay just to make it because it's the right thing to do, even if nobody watches yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's great. Yeah. That's yeah, great no. to hear. You Stephanie. said that.
1: and I was just like, yeah. Uh, if we just have like 15 seconds of silence after that it would be appropriate <laughs> it's like that that's that's kind of <laughs> hitting the nail on the head kind of territory
0: it is and it's important it's an important thing to remember sure it really is it's an important thing to um hear and it's an important thing to remember i mean m- maybe you don't have to remind yourself of that because it's something that just kind of wells inside of you but i mean for me that's definitely something important to for me to remember because I mean I've created hundreds of videos over the years and a lot of stuff before
2: YouTube was a thing. And um yeah, de- but you're different. You're you're different. You're not you're not doing this to get famous. You're not doing this to be a air quotes YouTuber. You're doing this because of all the right reasons and I can tell, right? And so kids today that want to be YouTubers you can tell pretty quick the ones that want to do it because they want to be famous or they want to play Fortnite all day long or whatever it is they want to do. And uh, what I want to do is I want to inspire people to just look at the world differently. And I think you do, too. Yeah. Matt, Matt, I haven't seen any of your content. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't produce anything useful in this world. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do nothing. Go to your freaking kitchen and make like from scratch nutty bars. You know, you're, you're talking about producers and consumers like I'm the prime consumer.
2: <laughs> uh, do you think so? Like, are you being
1: serious? Do you think so? I, I don't. I don't. I don't create like the way you guys do. I, I do love to help other people create. I like I love creating the conditions for them to do their thing. If I can make something easier or if I can make it more impactful, I like that a lot. So, for example, um, I've edited a few books. I I used to edit uh, news, online news, uh, and publish that. Uh, But I love editing books. I kind of don't love writing as much as I used to. Okay, So I will not, if somebody says, here, I'll pay you to write this 200-word book on whatever it is, I'm probably not interested in doing this. But if somebody says, hey, I've written a 200 page book on something, I'll be like, give it to me now. You'll have a first round of edits done by Monday. Let's do this. I love that part of the process. That's interesting. So is
0: that like painting the gazebo instead of building the gazebo? Yeah, it's a lot closer to that. Yeah. Or uh, maintaining
1: it or touching it up or um, just anything that makes the process more efficient or adds on to it, augments it in some way. I
2: really like that angle a lot more. What would the word be for that? Oh. I mean, that's a form. is it a form of creation or maintaining? It's like a... Uh, it's tough because it can be so many different things. I mean, you're still fighting against entropy is what you're doing. You're still creating more order.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really about making the experience of the, the creator uh, that much easier, that much better, right? So it's easier for that person to do it. It's sort of hmm. like, you know, if you think about, you were talking about the Civil War Project, right? A quartermaster had a significant role in what actually happened on the battlefield if the quartermaster isn't doing his job with supply lines and making sure that the guys uh, uh on the front lines there have what they need then they as you know i guess creators in this metaphor uh are in really really tough shape so the guy handling the logistics has a strong influence on their ability to perform you're absolutely right you're absolutely right you know and so it and if you think about some of the the creators and the the ones who have really built out a t- out a team, sorry, um, they they have guys who they can trust to make sure contracts are good. They've got a, a legal eye who's looking uh, through and handling that. They've got an accountant who makes sure they' uh, you know everything is going smoothly on the financial end. All those things have such a tremendous influence on the creator's
2: ability, to do what they're good at, which is to sit down and create. I, I think, you know, it's important for the architect that designs the cathedral or whatever it is. But I think equally as important is the person who picks up the brick and puts it on top of the yeah. other brick and makes the the building. And so you can't have the building unless both do their job. Often the people that designed it get the credit, but both people have to be involved in order for it to happen.
0: So before we wrap up, uh, since this... Podcast is about creativity. You are a very creative person, and we are here to honor and um, celebrate creativity. I want to ask you a question that doesn't have an answer. You oh, it just, will, though. It will. It's about to have an answer. It's about to have an answer because you're <laughs> going to make one up. excited. Okay. <laughs> so, the question that you have to answer is who invented the wheel? and why who invented the wheel and why well it just depends no um, it doesn't depend it uh, it has an answer yeah and like it, it, and you have to make it up sure
1: yeah tell oh, us a okay. story about
2: it about who invented what the was wheel his or her name <laughs> <laughs> okay so this this gets to my like philosophy on life okay so you can cut any of this you want but i believe the world was created with physical laws and we have the pleasure of operating within those laws right The cool thing about the wheel is that it only works if gravity is applied. Wheels only work in gravity. Now, if you're talking about objects rotating around an axle, that can work in weightlessness. That can work anywhere. But the fact that the Earth has to be here in order to pull us down at 9.8 meters per second squared. There you go for your metric conversion stuff. Like, you have to have all that. So I'm kind of going to go to the Carl Sagan thing. Like, to, to create an apple pie, you must first create the universe. Um, like you can't have a wheel unless you have a world and all that stuff. So that's something to think about. But ultimately, I, I think the nature of your question is there's an engineer or a caveman or some person that ultimately said, dang it, I'm freaking tired of hauling these pineapples across the field. I need to to put something on my drag sled here in order to uh, to reduce the friction in doing that. And so the axle was born her name, the, the lady that did that, was uh, Amelia, but it wasn't pronounced like that. It, it's it's in caveman. It's a guttural language, and so I can't even pronounce it. It's so difficult. But if you were to loosely translate it today, it would be Amelia. That's her name. And uh, she lived in Central Africa somewhere. That's, that's how that worked. But I think it was ultimately somebody that was just ticked off that they were tired of dragging stuff around. Because, you know, you've read all the stories about, you know, in South America, they had... A draft animal. They had the llama, but they didn't have the wheel. You've heard this. The Incas didn't have the wheel. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but you know the other civilizations, like the Mayans, just to the north. Is it the Mayans or the Aztecs that had the wheel? Do you know? Oh, I don't know. Do you? I know? thought
0: it was the Aztecs, but I, I don't want to go out on a limb and say that
2: without knowing for sure. Then
1: I'll say it was the Mayans because one of us will be right. <laughs> Perfect.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Amelia invented it in, cent- in the center of Africa, and it was, in fact, it was it was invented several times. Because, uh, you know, when that tribe went to war, the the technology was lost forever until it was reinvented several times over in multiple places all over the world. Huge thanks to our guest,
0: Destin Sandlin from the YouTube channel Smarter Every Day and his podcast, No Dumb Questions. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you want to help us out, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or your favorite podcast app. Whatever that is, it's up to you. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown and on Twitter at Create Unknown. We couldn't get the word the. Uh, Twitter has a uh, character limit, so thanks, Twitter. And our website is TheCreateUnknown.com. The Create Unknown is a Vsauce production in association with Triangle Content. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check us out on YouTube at Vsauce2. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. Our theme song is from the incredible Mega Drive. You can check out Mega Drive's website in the show notes. Host and guest portraits by the amazing Tim Webster. His portfolio and website are also in the show notes. This episode was edited by Adam Ganong. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, you are about to exit... And as always, thanks for listening.